So, Cam, I uh, just got back from the doctor, and it turns out I have Havana syndrome. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. isn't that pretty serious? Yeah. Having a beer syndrome. This is actually just a polar. Yeah, no, I can, I can see. I know you said that for the benefit of the audience, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I knew it wasn't up here. Yeah. That's What's okay. going on, man? Nothing. Uh, nothing. Just dealing with a little Havana, Havana syndrome myself. Um, yeah. AKA feeling like almost 100%, but just like slightly sluggish and a little tired. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you say um, you have a slight headache? Maybe uh, a little upset. And a little upset tummy. Yeah, a little bit. Slightly fatigued, maybe a little nausea. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I heard uh, like maybe a weird sound last night. I can't quite yeah. put my finger on it, but... Yeah, p- perhaps there were some uh, Vietnamese or maybe Cuban fellers outside, you mm-hmm. know, pointing some kind of strange uh, ray-looking gun kind of thing at you. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I was victimized for my nationality. And I, I also I was, had about twelve or fifteen beers, but I don't think that has anything oh, to do yeah, with it. Oh yeah, yeah. But that's 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 that's, that's a normal Wednesday for me. Yeah, that, for me, bud. No big deal there. So, um, so I'm only I can only assume that it's 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 international terrorism. Yeah, it's some sort of communist conspiracy. Yeah, for sure. They've definitely perfected sonic weaponry. Um, yeah, that's the uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, it has nothing to do with, as a diplomat, every time I go to Havana, I drink 15, maybe 20 mojitos yeah. and banana daiquiris a night. Yeah. You know, wake up in the heat, a little groggy. You know, my handler, according to him, I've got Havana syndrome. Yeah, I think that's got to be what it is. That sounds about right to me. Also, for anyone listening, um, it's not okay to make fun of Havana syndrome. So it's ableist. I want you to understand that what we're doing right now, that's political satire. Uh, that gets a pass. If you guys are making fun of people with Havana syndrome, that's a little different. And You're canceled. Yeah, I would cancel canceled. you personally if I had the opportunity. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So just keep in mind the distinction because it is important. Yeah. Although, if I'm being honest, what I really think happened happened here is that Havana Syndrome is some kind of in-joke between all of the alcoholic spies. Sure. And some, like, Mormon heard it was like, Havana Syndrome. There. We gotta get there. the word who's out never drank, Who's never drank before, and they're like, right. the Doesn't even drink Diet Coke unless it's caffeine-free. <laughs> yeah. And so they hear Havana Syndrome, and they're like, it's a communist plot. Absolutely. Yeah. They're using sonic Me- Meanwhile, weaponry. yo, meanwhile, one guy's like, oh, James, sorry I was late, man. I got a... Uh, Havana syndrome. Wink, 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 <laughs> wink, wink. And the other guy's yeah. like, oh, okay, that means that he was up doing hookers and blow all night. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then, yeah, then just, you know, the Mormon the Mormon uh, handlers just like, oh, my God. So you heard it Conspiracy. here first, folks. Evan thinks that Havana syndrome is a Mormon plot. Yeah. 9-11, too. Nine, the thing about 9-11 <laughs> is uh, Mormon plot. Mormons, dude. 
Dude, what, I've been hearing yeah, a lot of hot 9-11 takes in the last few days what? ever since uh, the, the Taliban. Dude, once you get into the Mormon synthesis, all American <laughs> events will only make sense through that framework. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, hot, hot 9-11 takes. I've, I've been hearing a lot of hot 9-11 takes. Uh, I've had multiple uh, overheard conversations where it's like, they're all essentially the same, so I'm going to kind of sum them up to you, like, just yeah. in one take. Uh, hey, Taliban, it's China here. Better make sure <laughs> oh, you distract those American troops so that we can infiltrate the, uh, the election fraud. Like, and it's, it's, it's literally, I'm not kidding, like yeah. four or five different versions of that same basic idea. Um, and it's all businessmen between the ages of, like, 48 and 62. And oh, they've yeah. all got just stellar, stellar uh, foreign relations records, really, really, really pulling out all the stops to uh, yeah. express their opinions about why it is that the Taliban has, uh, has retaken control in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I haven't heard that. You know, I'm not a server, so uh, I don't have to hear different morons every day getting drunk and just spewing off whatever, whatever comes out. But I've certainly seen it online. Yeah, I mean, they gave me three hundred dollars, so I, I kept Fuck my it. mouth shut. But uh, yeah, hell yeah, dog. It was the Chinese. Yeah, Fuck yeah. Another fucking absolutely, dude. Yeah, the ta oh the Taliban. Yeah, no, it was definitely China. Yeah. For sure. But, anyway, what can you do, man? Yep. got a, a, a bright and sunny change of pace for us. Um, yep. A little departure from the usual left unread uh, drudgery and uh, and misery. Um, mm -hmm. I thought it would be kind of cool to, to, to take a little bit of a, a hard left turn um, from yep. our usual topic, or the usual subject matter, rather. Throw those um, blinkers on, baby. Yeah, absolutely. We're banging a hard Louie. But before that... Um, do you, do you, is there an advertisement? There is. <clears throat> um, so last time I asked you find if you find folks like jazz, and did you ever? You couldn't keep your hands off of our jazz in my mouth sing-along compilation. Mm. And so today, we're ready to bring you fine left on red listeners jazz in my mouth volume two jazzocalypse now, the jazz standard sing-along compilation. It's got all of your favorite jazz standards that we missed last time, like Old Hoss Hathaway's I've Got Jazz in My Hands and It's Because of You, <laughs> Left <laughs> Left Side Louie Lewis's Get Up and Jazz, and Samson Silas and the Ten Penny Tens, These Hands Were Made for Jazzin'. Have you ever woken up so full of jazz that you were near to... <laughs> Fuck. 
<laughs> that you were near to bursting? Well, so did Geronimo Benton when he wrote his famous song, Spillin' My Jazzin' Heart Out. <laughs> and his number one follow-up, Flippin' Over to the Cool Side of You. So order the Jazz In My Mouth Volume 2 Jazzocalypse Now compilation and use promo code LEFTUNJAZZED for 20% off this 7LP set today. Jazz, it's what's for dinner. Oh, I like it. <laughs> the last one was stellar. I've put that on in so many different yeah. circumstances that I can't I can't even begin to describe. It's good yeah. for love making with your with your partner. Yeah, uh, it's for good that. for making some dinner with your partner. Dinner uh, making, love making. It's really good if you're having an argument with your partner. You put that on in the background, it kind of sets the tone. Yeah. I'm not going to say that it'll yeah, smooth things out. Yeah, a little free jazz. Yeah. yeah. Nothing like uh nothing like a little free jazz to kind of raise the tension in the room when you're trying to reach a uh, a crescendo with your partner. So, yeah, I like it. I'm, that's really yeah, that's good. great for any occasion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Christmas, Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. No. Um, Ramadan. I don't know that they're super big on the uh, secular music at one. Ramadan. You haven't heard this one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, there's seven LPs. You know, one of them is specifically. Got to be for know, Ramadan. For, for religious holidays. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to pick up a copy. Yep. Um, what do you think? <laughs> you ready to ready to ready to rock and roll? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it, dude. Let's have a let's have a party. All right. Yeah. So, um, as you know, as I said, this this show is generally not rooted in optimism. Uh, we have a tendency to gravitate towards the facets of history that we find the most upsetting. Uh, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but it does seem to be our natural uh, inclination. So mm -hmm. this week, in an attempt to deviate from that path a bit, I decided to research something fun, something flashy, something that would lighten the mood around here at LU headquarters in parts unknown. Because seriously, yeah, the mood has been dour. The yeah, mood's been very dour. It gets dour. It gets musty. It gets dusty. Uh, there's a lot of stale farts floating around. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but when Evan and I started this show, we moved in together, and. Uh, We've done that before, and it wasn't good then, and uh, it isn't good now. So uh, I just want to... 800 square foot room. Yeah, that's what we live in. Yeah. Two of us. Yeah, it's one big studio apartment. We share a bed. Small uh, studio apartment. Yeah, yeah. We share a bed. Uh, we share a... Twin. <laughs> we share a twin bed. Uh, Evan is always Big Spoon. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not ideal, but we're making it work for you, for the listener, for all... For you... That's what we do. However, however many of you there are, we can't and once really a week, tell. we invite you into this little den, into our little folks, our nest. Come on in, come on in, folks. <laughs> come on, come on, come on in. Just dip a toe in. Dip a toe. The water's the water's warm. It's really warm. Is it's actually we hot. promise that is water on the floor. It is hot, actually. When it's time to party, we will party hard.
so in thinking about you know how best to approach this week's episode i i says to myself i says self what's the most fun topic that we could reasonably discuss on the show and then it hits me like a ton of bricks at a party so i set out to find the most excellent party recorded in the annals of history uh and when i tell you that there were a lot of different parties on the list uh, that 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 i gave consideration to for writing the episode about uh there were and a few of them i'll talk to you about right now uh there's some the folks black been partying yeah some mm-hmm. folks been partying people have been out there folks doing been having a good time mm-hmm. getting weird getting jiggy with it uh <laughs> There was the super rad black dinner of 1440, where the young Earl of Douglas in Scotland was hauled from the dinner table and beheaded by conspirators. Uh, that's, the, that's the inspiration for the Red Wedding, for any uh, Game of Thrones fans out there. Yep. There was that time that Tycho Brahe, famous astronomer from Sweden, and his dwarf manservant Yip uh, fed their pet reindeer too much beer, and it fell down the stairs and broke its neck. It was a party. Uh, and we can't forget about the 2019... <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Yep. Yeah, yeah dude. But he had he had a, a dwarf under his impl- He would leave him under the table, and he would, like, prank his dinner guests. We're going to do a whole episode on him, so I don't want to talk too much about it. That was, like, a little Just teaser. the fact that his fucking name, Yep. Yep. <laughs> you okay, you we- got it? You ready? Yeah, dude, we can go. That's just fucking killing me. Uh, no, damn. yeah, it's hysterical. Uh, we yeah. can't forget about the 2019 Arlington Heights Young Republicans Convention when a then 25-year-old Charlie Kirk received his first over-the-pants hand job from a 46-year-old parking attendant named Cristobal. Can't forget that. No, that was another really, really important party. Um, all of these would have made for a killer episode, but I kept finding one party in particular that people seem to be really enthusiastic about with countless books and films and GeoCities websites devoted to the tale. Uh, <clears throat> I was personally unfamiliar with the topic, but I'm quivering with eager anticipation at the thought of uncovering the world's most excellent party. So without further ado, let's discuss the most rip-roaring, rollicking good time this side of the Sierra Nevada. That's right, folks, we're talking about the Donner Party. With a dream, my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame, access. Am I gonna fit in? Jumped in the camp, here I am for the first time. Look to my right, and I see the Hollywood sign. This is all so crazy. Everybody seems so famous. My tummy's turning, and I'm feeling kinda homesick. Too much pressure, and I'm nervous. That's when the taxi man turned on the So every good party has a theme, or at at least all the best parties are themed parties. That's my honest opinion, and I'm sticking to it. I think it's safe to say that the theme of the Donner Party was Manifest Destiny. Yeah. Well, not as as ubiquitous (laughs) as the uh, the Christmas Party, or as potentially scandalous as the classic Pimps and Hoes Party. 
Manifest Destiny is a suitable theme for a party, to be sure. It's grounded in the myth of white supremacy and American exceptionalism. Manifest Destiny was the notion that it was the preordained right of every enterprising white American to pack up and head west, blanketing this pristine, beautiful North American continent with a bland and self-indulgent new society filled with strip malls, megachurches, and mayonnaise-based salads. Yeah, sure, there were uh, people here already, but surely they would see the value in giving up the perfect, ecologically sustainable, fetterless freedom of their lives in exchange for thick wool clothing and bad haircuts, right? Who doesn't like parties? Uh, uh, sounds like a party to me. Besides, doesn't really matter because, as we said, this was destiny, my man. So during the mid-19th century, that's the 1800s for those of us who aren't up on the century thing, uh, there was a massive spike in Western movement by Americans looking for their own little slice of Western paradise. Yep. Uh, of particular interest to Eastern and Midwestern folks was the fabled land of California, with its fertile soil, balmy climate, and Pacific Ocean views. To many, this distant territory seemed like a paradise out of a dream. Yes, sure. It's still part of Mexico, but who cares? Fuck it. Fuck those guys. Let's just Fuck move it. there anyway. And heck, if enough white American manifest destineers move there, then heck, we could just take it away from the Mexicans and form a new republic, or at least get the U.S. to annex it. Either one sounds pretty nice. Don't you think, Evan? It sounds great, yeah. I think so. So one noteworthy pioneer and proponent of the California Republic was a man named Landford Hastings. Born in 1819 in Mount Vernon, Ohio, Hastings had made the trip west following the Oregon Trail in 1842. You may have heard of the Oregon Trail, you know, in your computer's lab in elementary school, but yep. it was a real trail. Uh, people really did die of diphtheria, and, uh, you know, it's nothing to joke about. Uh, he spent time in Oregon, <laughs> and he headed south into what was at the time called Alta, California, as opposed to Baja, California, uh -huh. uh, before returning to the U.S. in 1844 with his head full of fanciful, fun notions about an independent California republic. Now, to this end... He established the Emigrants, or I'm sorry, he published the Emigrants Guide to Oregon and California in 1845, which was a detailed description of the process by which an Eastern settler could pick up and head west, along with all the benefits they would reap upon arrival, and peppered mm -hmm. with California Republican ideas and ideals. He then began leading wagon caravans west, hiring himself out as a guide and a trailmaster. Uh, of great importance to our story is one particular innovation for which Hastings has come to be known. In his book, he proposed a shortcut, which would come to be known as the Hastings Cutoff, which he proposed okay. would save the prospective pioneer several hundred miles of travel should they decide to head west. That sounds dangerous. Y you know, <laughs> I don't know why you're saying that, because <laughs> it sounds pretty good to me. A, a shortcut? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, man, the only cutoffs I want are my fucking shorts or my tees. Yeah. I guess I did know that about you. Yeah. <laughs> you did. Yeah, you, you did know that about me. <laughs> that was That's old news to Cameron. Hey, bye. A different story. <laughs> uh, so normally a pioneer would head west along the Oregon Trail, which took a northwesterly route and circumnavigated the treacherous Wasatch Mountains, the Utah Salt Desert, and the most intense part of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. Uh, Hastings took a look at a map. He saw how wonky this route was and said, 
what if we just cut straight across? That makes more sense to me. And then he went out and he tried like the first one-fifth of it, uh, the part before the mountains and all the deserts and shit, and said, yeah, this is easy, and headed home, and he fucking printed that shit. But here's the thing. I confirmed it. Yeah, I extrapolated over the uh, the first 20%. Yeah, he, he basically said, like, okay, assuming that the next four fifths are the same as this first fifth. I don't really feel like climbing them fucking mountains, but, you know, I can it's see those, easy. I can see some mountains right there. I'm going to skip those because I don't really have time, but we're going <laughs> to go ahead and just say this was easier because I, I made record time. Um, but here's the thing. It wasn't easy. But onward and upward. That's why they're called pioneers, buddy. Absolutely. <clears throat> One pie for every year. So in 1846, uh, George Donner had a dream to host the best party ever with games, activities, and the best snacks. The only problem was he lived in fucking Springfield, Illinois, where the only partying people did was milking their goats or eating deep fried cheese or whatever other egregious Midwestern shit. I mean, that does sound pretty fun. Yeah, I'd do it, but is it a party? I don't know. You tell me. You don't got your party goat? To eat milk, and then your guest milk. <laughs> All right, guys. And then we can see who gets. Let's who gets take the turns best goat milking milk. the goat. <laughs> if we want, look. If we want to have goat milk in the morning, everyone's gonna need to put in their time. Yeah, yeah. You know Somebody's how got, it goes. Who wants to start milking Silas over there? <laughs> Silas the milking goat. <laughs> Horniest goat this side of the Sierra Nevada. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, George Donner had read Springfield, uh, had read Hastings' book, and he thought to himself, "California, that's the ticket." Uh, he decided that if he was going to party hard, California was the place to do it. Now George Donner had means. He was already sixty-two years old, but everyone agreed that he was like a, like a silver fox type of sixty-two. You know what I mean? He was physically fit, he was handsome, he was healthy, and he was the co-owner of several successful farms with his younger brother Jacob. Uh, he'd also been married three times, which is pretty good. I mean, most people only get married once or nuns, you know? Yeah. So three times, he's doing something right. Uh, and he was still laying hard-ass pipe on his latest wife, Tamsin, who was decades oh, his senior. Fuck yeah, dude. And apparently she was a looker. Damn. Yeah, he's doing pretty Hell well. Yeah. yeah, she was like, yeah, she was like 29 or 30. They were having babies still. So he's doing good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decided to pack all their stuff up, sell their farms, hire some hands, buy some wagons, I think six wagons, and pack up all the kids from Donner's second and third marriages and head west. The children of his first marriage were like, no, we're going to stay here with mom. Thank you. Um, Which is, you know, tale as old as time there. Jacob Donner, who, as I said, was George's younger brother, brought his whole family too. The thing is, Jacob Donner was not as much of a party animal as his brother. He was kind of sick. He was a straight shooter? 
No, he was just sickly and shitty. Like, his body just didn't work as good. He was a nice okay. guy, but he was just busted up. Like, he just yeah, got... Yeah, he was a straight shooter. I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, and he was a little sickly, but he was a straight shooter. They were Can both just straight... Say that? They were both straight shooters. They were oh, both okay. nice guys and straight shooters. They were. By all accounts, yeah. George Donner was a good-ass dude. You would have liked him, you know? Yeah, he was just you'd... a... He was a pipe-laying guy, too, though. Yeah. Not even really. He was pretty religious. Like, you know, I just said that for uh, poetic license. I mean, he did have a oh. lot of kids, so obviously, you know, he was he was, he was, was having sex, but, you know, probably nice. no more than anyone else. Congrats on the sex, my dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I don't know if that was really his defining characteristic. Okay. Yeah, uh, probably just party was. James F. Reed was also keen to party, probably because he had been born in Ireland, and you know how they can be. <laughs> Uh, Reed had made his way stateside as a child, ultimately also settling in Illinois. He ran several local businesses, and he invested in mining ventures. Uh, He fought in the Black Hawk War in 1832, where he met and befriended another famous partier, Abraham Lincoln. You've heard Mm. of him. Have you, have you guys seen this guy? Have you heard about this have guy? Have heard about him? Why don't you see if you, have you got Have seen a, this guy? Have I heard about this guy? See if you got a $5 bill or a penny, okay? Because he's on both. Um, <laughs> he would go on to marry Margaret Backenstowe, a local okay. widow with one daughter, and they had a bunch more kids, except little Gershom, who died in infancy. R.I.P. little Gershom. Sucks to be little Gershom. Yeah, sorry, Gersh. It. Little Gershom weird. Gersh-y. Little Gershom Reed. He didn't make it. Uh, so in 1846, he also decides to head west. He buys three wagons, and he links up with the Donner Bros, and they form a little wagon party. Both Donner and Reed had read Hastings' book. Uh, Reed particularly was a big fan. Um, and their heads are swimming with dreams of prospering in California, even though, something you should know, both of these guys were doing well in Illinois. They had nice houses. They had money. They were doing okay. They, they, just, they just had the itch. They had the itch. They wanted more. The wild. Now, apparently. They wanted to go west. Apparently, Abraham Lincoln considered going with them and joining the Donner Party. But Mary wow. Todd Lincoln talked him out of that. Can you imagine? Now, this, this might just be an urban legend because I haven't seen this everywhere I've looked. But I've, mm-hmm. I've read this a couple places that it was talked about. I don't know how true that is. You know? Then you said, how about not the Donner Party, how about the Republican Party? Absolutely. And look at how well that's going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, with nine wagons, uh, their families and hired hands, the Donners and the Reeds, they set out from Springfield, Illinois in spring of 1846. So the group is is making decent headway, and their first stop is supposed to be at Fort Laramie in Wyoming, where they're going to pick up supplies and stuff. Along the trail to Fort Laramie, they begin to join up with similar smaller groups. Uh, Levina Murphy, who's a a widow with a family of 13 in tow. Um, It's kind of unusual to see a woman leading a wagon train like this, but she's she's doing it. She's got sons and daughters and children-in-law and kids and grandkids and whatever. 
there's Louis Kieseberg, who's a kind of freaky-seeming German dude with his wife and daughter. His wife is named Philippine, like the country, which is kind of yeah. fun. <clears throat> there's the Breen family, which is led by a man named Patrick. Uh, their family's from Iowa. Jesus, this is like fucking Katamari or something like that. I know. You know that um, game where you roll around his ball? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a German they couple keep that... collecting more groups, more parties. It's like the game. Yeah, it's like the game Katamari. Yeah. Yeah. The game. I want to <laughs> wad you up into my life. I know you love me. I want to wad you up into my life. Let's roll up to be a single star in the sky. I hear <laughs> um, a German couple known only as the Wolfingers. Who brought two single men named Spitzer and Reinhardt? The Wolfingers, hell yeah, dude. They're probably the Wolf, Wolfingers. Yeah, uh, they had two single men named Spitzer and Reinhardt with them. Um, there's also an old Dutch man named Hardkoop, who who was with the Germans. He would alternate between riding with Kieseberg and the Wolfingers. Uh, dude, yeah, Hardkoop like sounds awesome. He's just a seventy-year-old Dutch guy named Hardkoop who's just going wherever. Uh, along the way, George Donner also takes in a young man named Luke Halloran, who is dying of tuberculosis. Uh, he had hitched a ride out west with another family. He was hoping that the climate in California would be good for him. That was a prevailing thought at the time, that drier, warmer climates would, would, would cure tuberculosis. Um, so a, a family agreed to take him, and then, like, not even that far into the trip, they were like, ah, we can't do this. And they were going to leave him by the side of the road. And George Donner was like, that's fucked up. You can ride with me. So George Donner takes him in. Man, that's uh, that's nice of him, but I seem might, seems like kind of dangerous taking somebody with tuberculosis. They didn't know how that shit worked back then. Uh, you'll also come to find that a lot of these people aren't going to have too much time to figure out whether they get sick or not. Uh, there's going to be cool. there's going to be bigger fish to fry. Hell yeah, brother. Um, so by May 12th, this smaller group is merged with a much larger wagon train in Independence, Missouri, and they're all headed west and they're taking the established Oregon Trail route. Yep. Uh, this is all good and well. It got our partiers all the way to Fort Laramie. But you know what? The Oregon Trail is a fucking drag. That's what. It took so long. It is so boring. And had any of these idiots read Lanford Hastings' landmark book about being a better pioneer? Plus, you end up in fucking Oregon, then you want to get to California. That's the thing. Then you, you just got to travel south. You have to go south. down the coast, son. Now, sure, it takes you around the worst part of the Sierra Nevadas, but, you know, think about all the miles, man. Yeah. Well, guess what? George Donner and James motherfucking Reed had read Lanford Hastings' landmark book, and they're yep. about to make one of the absolute best decisions of their entire lives. <laughs> so while they're uh, at Fort Laramie, a rider from, uh, from Hastings, Lanford Hastings, arrives with a proposition for any interested travelers. So this was a thing that he used to do. He would sort of, like, advertise in an early kind of commercial way. He would send out hired riders from forts where he was staying with letters to other forts, basically saying, like, hey, uh, why don't you come join me at this fort that I'm at, and I will lead you to California. You can hire me, and I will lead you there. Okay. Uh, and, and the letter was like, fuck the Oregon Sold. Trail. When you guys get to Fort Bridger, instead of heading north, why don't you meet up with me? I'm going to take you guys through my world-famous patented Hastings Cutoff, and it's going to be awesome. Fuck the Oregon Trail. Okay, yeah, great. Yep, sold. Let's do it. So Donner and Reed look at each other, and they're like, fucking absolutely that is a stellar idea let's split off from this group 
We'll take anyone who wants to come with us, and we will meet up with our hero, Lanford Hastings, and we can party with him in California. It'll be so fucking cool and safe. Hell yeah. So they resolve to split off from the main group once their paths no longer align, which, as it turns out, is at the Little Sandy River in southwestern Wyoming. Now, obviously, this wasn't Wyoming then. Uh, it was just a, it's just a place. Uh, but it's Wyoming now. And that's Today how I'm going to Wyoming. It's Wyoming. So that's how I'm going to refer to things just for the modern listener. Because, you know, why else? Left and red. It's for the modern listener. It's for the modern listener. They didn't have podcasts back then. Yeah. Uh, so this new party, which is comprised of everyone that I listed above, and I probably should have listed them here instead of there, but whatever, let's do it again. So it's the Donners, the Reeds, the Breens, the Wulfingers, the Kiesebergs, assorted other people. I'm not going to mention a whole lot of names. I mean, you can find other people, and, and I might mention some other specific individuals later on that I don't list here, but Hard whatever. Hardcoop is there. Halloran's there. Hardcoop is definitely there. No, uh, they've all right got, there, Joe. They've all got hired hands who are, who are driving the carts and stuff. The carts, a lot of the carts were either rented or they were bought, but then the oxen were owned by drovers, and you would hire people to drive the carts. Yeah. Um, so all in all, it's 87 people at max. Um, at this point, I think it's actually a few less, but the maximum size of the party would be approximately 87 to 90 people. Right now, so yep. it's 15 women, 29 men, 43 children, all packed into 23 wagons. And you might be thinking to yourself, hey, isn't 43 an awful lot of kids to be taking on an experimental, barely tested, extremely dangerous overland route across the country with winter looming? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I was thinking that. They I also have, was thinking that. They also have a ton of uh, livestock with them. Not like oxen for pulling, but they're just there's herds of cattle with them, and they slaughter these along the way because they're <laughs> going to eat them. It's the best. You want to? You know, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have. Yep. Uh, you know, you want to keep your beef fresh. They didn't have the ice box. Yeah, you want to keep your beef fresh, you fucking bring it with you, man. Alive. Yeah. Um, so this this new group obviously needs a leader. And most of the men in this group are foreigners, which obviously, no. Yeah, can't uh, trust those. James Reed is only sort of a foreigner, because he's been here since he was a little boy. Uh, but he's also really strict and militant, and that kind of kills the vibe. And obviously it's not going to be and a this woman. Is a party. Yeah, it's a party. Like We're not going to let a lady lead it. We're not going to lead. let some fucking stick in the mud lead it. Um, so naturally, it's going to fall on George Donner, who's a nice enough guy. He's kind. He's very likable. And he's one of the richer members of the party. He's got the most cargo at stake. Uh, plus, he isn't from some weird country in Europe, so he'll have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's one more guy that I haven't mentioned yet for narrative purposes. His name is Edwin Bryant. He's a journalist. He was a part-time surgeon. Generally an interesting guy. Uh, he has joined with the Donner Party for a bit. But he breaks off because the wagons are moving so slowly, and he's just a single guy. He's got a couple of mules and himself. So he mm -hmm. and a bunch of other people who are kind of just riding on horseback or with mules, they figured, why don't we just break off? We'll get there way faster if we're not sticking with these wagons. Mm -hmm. um, and so they head off for Fort Bridger, where they hope to meet Hastings himself. So Bryant finds the trail to be a lot harder than he had been led to believe. So hard, yep. in fact, that he gets pretty concerned. Uh, he doesn't think that the wagons are going to make it. So, I mean, he's he's pretty aware that, like, most of the people in these wagon trains are not experienced overland travelers. You know, they're yeah. successful local businessmen used to, like, a relatively sedentary, leisurely life. Yeah. So he rides back to Fort Bridger, and he leaves a series of letters for the party, basically saying, like, hey, don't come this way. It's way too hard. Ha, ha, ha. He gives them to Jim Bridger, who's the guy who owns Fort Bridger who takes the letters and says, I will absolutely give these to your friends 
So the Donner Party arrives, and they find that Lanford Hastings has left, leading a larger wagon train west. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ask Bridger, hey, which way did he go? And he says, we took the Hastings cutoff, of course, and they say, cool. Is that way a good way to go? And he says, dudes, absolutely. It's a great way to go. Mm-hmm. And they say, do you got any mail for us? And he says, certainly not. Godspeed. And they Damn. thank him, and they leave for the Hastings cutoff. Now, you might remember that Bridger did have mail for the Donner Party. You might yep. also remember that the cutoff was not a good way to go. So mm-hmm. why, Cam, would Jim Bridger say these things to the beautiful, sexy Donner Party, you might ask? Well, because he was a piece of shit, and his fort mm-hmm. would prosper if the Hastings cutoff drew lots of traffic. So that's pretty much it. He lies to them. He tells them, go Damn. for it. Yeah. Later testimony by Edwin Bryant, the guy who wrote the letters, and James Reed uh, would posit that Bridger just threw the letters away and knowingly sent the wagons to their doom. I mean, to their party time extravaganza. Yeah, to the really good time. Yeah. So this is where things start to get really, really fun. Because nice, this is, this is going to yeah. be a really... Festivities. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to be a, a little good pre-game. time. It's going to be a good time. They're going to have a nice time traveling west. So good to do that. Oh. <laughs> So as I said, the party is following a couple days behind the larger party that Lanford Hastings, the guy who wrote the book, is leading. Mm -hmm. And he knows they're back there, so he's leaving letters and directions like nailed to trees and stuck under rocks and stuff, and they're finding whatever. So despite this, they find that immediately the trail is way harder than anything that they've yet encountered. Mm-hmm. The Wasatch Mountains, which are a part of the Rocky Mountains, are very steep. Uh, the trail is basically non-existent. Now, when you're traveling the Oregon Trail at this point, for years and years and years, cartload after cartload of people has traveled the same way. So there's like a, there's a pretty established, worn trail uh, that you can follow, and it's not hard to follow. Mm-hmm. But this trail basically doesn't exist. Plus, the way is constantly blocked by, like, thick thorns and vegetation and bushes and shrubbery and vines and whatever. So in one of his notes, Hastings writes back that if they're in great enough need and they seek him out, he'll come back and he'll guide them through himself. Yeah. So after a few hard days, a couple of the men say, we better take him up on this. Uh, So James Reed uh, and two men, Charles Stanton, remember him, and another guy named William Pike, agree to leave the wagons and ride hard on horseback to catch up to Hastings, and they're going to ask him for help. Okay. Uh, pretty immediately they realize that not only does it not get any better, but it gets really, really worse. Uh, the terrain just gets harder and harder. There's canyons, there's boulders, there's rock slides, there's all sorts of things that a wagon isn't going to be able to deal with. And they're like, okay, this is bad. Yeah. Um, they catch up to Hastings, and he is a lot less chill than previously indicated. Uh, he will not abandon his new group, instead only riding back part of the way uh, to give them sort of vague directions. They're like, okay, so you see that, do that, do this, do this, do this. I got to go. 
and he returns back to his own struggling group. So the men return, they hold a conference, and they're like, what are we going to do? Because right now, we could ride back, no problem, and hop on the Oregon Trail, and you know we've lost a few days, but this seems kind of nuts. Or we could take this insane new route filled with canyons and boulders and shit that breaks wagons that Hastings says that we should take. I mean, so naturally, they choose option two. Yeah, that's uh, what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So at one point, they're making as little as one mile of progress per day through this Jesus park. Christ. Yeah. God damn, dude. It's, it's pretty bad. Now, 10 miles a day was average with these big, heavy wagons. So still not fast, but they're going at one-tenth their normal slow-ass speed. Uh, every able-bodied person is, is, is hacking away at brush to clear path, and James Reed is getting really ornery. You know, remember, he was in the Black Hawk Wars. He's kind of a military guy. He's yelling at people, and he's like, what the fuck? Like, blah, 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 blah. Nah, you fucking, let's go. And people are starting to not really like this. Um, but while they're moving super slowly, one last group, the Graves family, um, who were one of the last groups to have left Missouri that year. So that's how you know that the Donner Party was like at the tail end of traveling season. They're, they're cutting it pretty close already. Um, because once winter hits the Sierra Nevadas, you're uh. going to have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> so the Graves family, uh, they show up and they join the party. Eventually, in late August of 1846, the group crested the Wasatch Range, and they looked down upon the Great Salt Lake and the barren salt desert beyond. Yeah. Uh, and they see that and they think to themselves, well, fuck, that <laughs> looks daunting. Fuck. Yeah, that looks bad. Yeah. So they descend the mountain. Um, but the difficult trip over the range had been too much for Luke Halloran. That's the guy that I mentioned who had tuberculosis. Uh, he yep. succumbs to his disease on August 25th, and they bury him. Oh, shit. My yeah. God. So he's, he's the first official casualty. Yesterday was his uh, death day anniversary. Mm. Yep. That's true. You're right. R.I.P. Luke Halloran. R.I.P. Luke Halloran. So we're down to 86 people. We're down to 86. All right. Roughly. That's still a fucking party. That's still, 86 that's people, a that's a pretty time. good party. That's a pretty good that's party. That's still a good fucking time, baby. But people have begun to get a little ornery because it's okay. clear that crossing a desert after climbing a mountain range is going to suck. And suddenly everyone is looking at James Reed like, hey, man, this is your fault. Yeah. Because he really liked Hastings and wanted to take the Hastings route. Oh. They discover, uh, speaking of Hastings, they discover the tatters of a note from Hastings at the edge of the desert that basically says, buckle up. It's going <laughs> to take you... At least two days. It's about 40 miles. You're going to go straight across this desert. There's no grass. There's no water. Feed your cattle now because it's going to be yeah. rough. It ends up being more than twice that distance and taking yeah. approximately eight days. So the thing about the salt flats, which is what they're crossing, mm -hmm. there's no potable water, but there's plenty of moisture in the ground. And when these heavy wagons cross it, the salty earth turns into like a gummy paste and sucks in tires so axles break, wagons are getting stuck, uh, oxen are like pulling, pulling, pulling and getting exhausted. Mm -hmm. It's pretty bad. But again, there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink. So the oxen start to go crazy. Yep. Uh, people start abandoning their wagons because the ox just can't handle it. Um, yep. So they're dumping superfluous shit, um, goods and stuff like that. Um, some exhausted, yoked oxen are just left like attached to the wagons and they just are left there to die damn uh, which is pretty fucked up could have at least yeah. unyoked them um 
nine of Reed's ten oxen escape. He's he's got them unhitched. He's giving them a break, and they just go nuts and run off into the desert, um, crazed Damn. with thirst. It's assumed that they smelled uh, like an oasis or a river or something, and so they were heading off in the direction of water. But yeah, um, so he's in a bad way. So by now everyone hates Hastings and is not too far behind on Reed. They they don't really like either of these guys. Uh, they hate Hastings' cutoff, and everyone's pretty much just generally bummed out about this whole venture. But unfortunately, they have yeah. already fucked up their last chance to turn back, and they basically have no choice but to follow Hastings' path. Yeah. So they decide to make for Sutter's Fort, where the owner, John Sutter, was said to be willing to help forlorn pioneers and just generally be a decent guy in a pretty shitty world. So two of the men, Charles Stanton again, you remember him from before, yep. and William McCutcheon, they agree to ride ahead, and they're going to ask Sutter for supplies to bring back to the group. It's very brave of them. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. So they ride off on horseback. And then everybody else hitches up an assortment of mules and horses and cows and oxen to try to pull whatever wagons they can manage to pull left. Yeah. Uh, and they rejoin the normal trail on September 25th with Hastings' shortcut, actually costing them something like 30 extra days of travel. <laughs> yeah. Not so short. So at least the worst is probably over now, and it's time to get this party started. Right? Yeah. Wrong. Yeah, yeah it's fucking... N- no. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. No? Oh, no. No. Okay. No, no, no. Still got to do some setting up. <laughs> so the group is following the Humboldt River now, and things are looking good. Uh, they meet up with a few Paiute Indians who say, like, hey, can we travel with you guys? And I'm like, absolutely. But then, lo and behold, the Paiutes go nuts and kill a bunch of their cattle and steal a bunch of their shit and run off Good in the night. Them, yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, the Donners, who had the best wagons, decide to forge ahead and leave the group behind in order to make better time themselves, leaving the remaining group behind. Now, Donner, obviously a good leader, because he has just left the entire group. That'll come back to bite him. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, one of Reed's wagons gets tangled with another wagon, and the driver of that wagon, a mean old bastard named John Snyder, starts whipping the shit out of Reed's oxen to get them to pull free. Now, Reed hears his fucking oxen screaming and runs (laughs) up, and he's like, hey, man, uh, can you not? So Snyder turns on him and starts bashing his head in with the butt of his whip. Oh, my God. So Reed's wife, Margaret, intervenes, and then Snyder hits her with his whip. It's a big party foul. And Reed sees this, gets mad, pulls out his hunting knife, stabs Snyder in the stomach. Uh, Snyder slowly, loudly dies, drawing lots of attention. Now, people hadn't seen the fight, but they did see Reed standing there with a bloody knife looking all upset and a dead, stabbed-to-death dude lying there, so they flip out. Yep. Uh, They already didn't like Reed, and they're all tired, and they're angry, and they're whatever, so they turn on him immediately. Um, all the mm-hmm. families start to argue. Some of them want, you know, immediate justice, which is mm-hmm. not unheard of for wagon trains at this time. Um, and others say it's 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 time to let him go. Well, there's a there's a debate. Louis Kieseberg, who's the fucky German, yeah, uh, says that he wants to hang Reed right there in front of his friends and family. It was a little hardcore. Yeah. Ultimately, they decide that what they're going to do is they're going to banish him without food or water, uh, which they think is a death sentence, but at least his friends and family don't have to watch. Jeez, Kieselberg. Yeah. Fucking strange, man. Yeah. But luckily, his stepdaughter, Virginia, sneaks in a rifle and some food and some beer, and she was like, you was a good papa, or some other shit, and uh, he rides off to try to catch up with the Donners. 
Okay, cool. Is he just on foot? No, he's on a horse. They oh, let him yeah, take his cool. horse. Yeah. So everyone hates each other by now. Uh, people have started walking so that their oxen have less weight to pull. Uh, Louis Kieseberg tells yeah. Hardcoop, the old Dutchman, that he can't ride in his wagon anymore. So Hard Hardcoop starts walking, but keep in mind he's seventy. Uh, so so a German giving shit to a Dutchman again, mm -hmm, huh? Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, his feet swell up so badly that they split open, and he has to sit down beside the river, uh, and he's just waiting to die. William Eddy, who's one of the leaders of the smaller families with them, is like, "Hey, we got to take him with us," and they like kind of go back and get him. But then he brings him, and nobody will take him in the wagon. And so he's like, actually... <laughs> Sorry, Harikoop, you, you, uh, you do have to die. Sorry, dude. <laughs> so they leave him. Yeah. Uh, and then a bunch more shit goes down. Uh, Reed catches up with Donner, and one of Donner's teamsters and he set off to reach Sutter's Fort, uh, riding to try to beat the oncoming winter. Um, the party is by now being regularly followed and harassed by Paiute Native Americans who are stealing and shooting their cattle and horses regularly, and they're, they're just yeah. massively depleting their provisions. Uh, Wolfinger, who's the German guy with the, the wife and the other two Germans with him, uh, mm. <clears throat> he has so few oxen left and cattle left at this point that he couldn't pull his wagon, so he stops off to cache his supplies to be retrieved later. So he's going to bury his shit and come back yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Reinhard and Spitzer stay behind to help. Uh, and definitely not to murder Wolfinger and take all of his cash, of which he apparently had a lot. Yeah. Uh, they come back later without Wolfinger, surprise, surprise, claiming that they'd been attacked by Paiutes, which was reasonable, and that Wolfinger had died, so no worries there. Yeah. Uh, people are rapidly depleting their stores. Children are going hungry, uh, but no one is willing to help other families. Um, I think it was William Eddy. Uh, went up to one of the other people and was like, listen, I need water for my kids. And they were like, we don't have any water. And he was like, I'll fucking kill you if you don't give me some water. And they're like, okay, take some water. It's getting tense. Um, they have to cross one last stretch of desert, and then suddenly, boom, they're on the beautiful Truckee River. It's lush. It's verdant. There's clean yeah. water and grass and all sorts of shit everywhere. Yeah. And then, boom, boom, Charles Stanton comes back. You remember Charles Stanton? I remember Charles Stanton. Yeah, shit yeah, man. He's back. He went to yeah, Sutter's brother. Fort. He made it all the way to Sutter's Fort. He's got supplies. He's got mules. And he brought two Miwok Indian guides with him named Salvador and Louise. And he reports that on his way, he saw Reed arrive at Sutter's Fort, who's alive and waiting for his family. Yeah. The worst is surely over, and it's time I for these donors fucking time. to partay. Fucking time at last. Hell yes. Hell yeah. I was a terror since the public school era. Bathroom passes, cutting classes, squeezing asses. Smoking blunts was a daily routine since 13. A chubby nigga on the scene. I used to have the trade deuce and the deuce deuce in my bubble goose. Now I got the Mac in my knapsack, lounging black, smoking sacks up and axe and sidekicks with my sidekicks, rocking fly kicks. Honey's wanna chat, but all we wanna know is where the party at. And can I bring my cat? If not, I hope I don't get shot. Better throw my vest on my chest, cause niggas is a mess. It don't take nothing but front for me to start something. Bugging and bucking at niggas like I was duck hunting. Coming out just me and my crew, cause all we wanna do is. Wrong
along again. So the group has a decision to make. They can either follow the river up over the Sierras, which are already looking white with snow, or they can camp here and see if they can survive the winter. Now, it's already October 20th, and they know that at some point before December hits, that pass is going to be packed with snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- there's a scuffle or some something goes on. There's a misfire of a gun. Um, somebody's kid dies. And the families are like, okay, we can't wait here because this is just not good. And so yeah. one by one, they sort of set off to, to, to try to make it over the mountain. But everybody's kind of in it for themselves at this point. They're not really helping each other out. So yeah. the, the Breens leave first, and then slowly one by one the families leave, and the Donners leave last. Yeah. So the Breens make it to Truckee Lake, which is three miles from the summit of the mountain that they're on. And they find yep. an abandoned, roofless, shitty little shack built by previous pioneers uh, that had long since been abandoned. Okay. So they make a crude roof out of hides, and they settle in. Okay. Cool. Uh, the Kiesebergs come next, and they try to keep going past Truckee Lake, but they find that the passes have already snowed in. So they turn back to the lake. Uh, they build a lean-to against the cabin that the, the Breens are staying in. Yeah. Um, and slowly all the rest of the families like start making camp there, except for the Donners, who are, are five miles behind when they have an axle break on one of their wagons. Mm-hmm. Um, they stop to try to repair it, and George Donner ends up slicing his hand open. And it looks like a superficial wound, but it's it's a pretty deep cut, and they bandage him up, and his hand is kind of out of commission. Mm-hmm. So they're stuck there for a little while, and he and Jacob, his brother, decide that the best thing to do in this circumstance is to take the time and energy to chop down a bunch of trees and try to build a whole log cabin. Mm-hmm. So they spend like a couple days on this with his hand getting worse and worse and worse and starting to fester. And his brother Jacob, who's sickly and not good at this shit, Keep in mind, this is like a 62 and like a 54-year-old man. Like, they're not like, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're older guys. chickens. Right. And uh, eventually they give up on this, but they waste like days on it, and, it, and both of their condition deteriorates, and they end up just making tents. Hmm. Um, now it's time to party. Oh, fuck yes. So this is the part of the Donner Party narrative that people are going to kind of recognize. Um, with everybody snowed in and desperate, and they're on Truckee Lake, and they're running out of food, and fuck shit starts going down. Yep. Um, so they start eating everything. Yep. Um, they're eating their horses and their oxen, obviously. Um, Those gotta go. Yeah. But then they start dying. And so they're eating dead, kind of unhealthy oxen. And then they've eaten all those, and so then there's skin and bones left. So they start boiling the skin, and it turns into, like, a glue, like a goopy glue. And they eat that. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they boil yeah. the bones. They boil yeah, you the want b- some bone glue? <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um, then they boil their Take bones. Nice big old bowl of that uh, bone glue you got over there, Georgia. <laughs> there's bone glue in them thar hills. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bone glue Bone meat. glue for lunch, and I'll be damned if I ain't gonna eat no bone glue for dinner. Um, they boil the bones down and make uh, broth, and okay. then they roast them and they chew them up and eat the bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they start eating their shoes and yep. spare scraps of leather. Uh, mice will wander into their tents where it's warm, and they'll catch them and eat those. Um, yep. You, you see where this is going. Only one other thing to eat after that. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I smell man flesh. <laughs> Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah. 
Why can't we have some meat? Mm. What about them? They're fresh. They are not for eating. What about their legs? They don't need those. <laughs> uh, so 17 members of the group try to make snowshoes because they realize they can't stay here and make it through the whole winter. So they're going to head on foot over the pass to make it. Yeah. Charles Stanton is one of them. Uh, the Graves family and a couple others are with them. Yeah. Uh, the two Indian guides, Luis and Salvador, are with them. Uh, they make snowshoes and uh, they're heading out and... Charles Stanton has a pretty badass last moment. Now, this is a guy who's done a lot to keep this party going. Ridden ahead yep. multiple times, try to get help, brought back supplies. Mm -hmm. he, he goes off, and, and he's lagging behind. Some say he's got a hurt leg. Others that he's just, you know, exhausted and starving. He starts yep. to lag behind, and eventually he just sits down, and somebody's like, hey, man, are you coming? And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll catch up to you. And he rolls up his last bit of tobacco. He smokes his last cigarette, and they find him there the next year, frozen. Okay. Yeah. R.I.P. to a real one, Charles Stanton. Yep. Uh, they quickly start running out of supplies and going nuts. Uh, Patrick Dolan, one of the men, takes his clothes off and runs off into the woods screaming. Uh, and then shortly after, he stumbles back, <laughs> and then he dies. Looks like somebody knows how to fucking party. In That's what party. I'm saying. All right. Finally, somebody knows what's up. Yeah. So they're looking at him and they're like, listen, we got to eat him. Yeah. And so some of them start cutting off Let's pieces. Eat the crazy of, bastard. They start cutting off pieces of him and eating him. Now, the two Indians, Louise and Salvador, are looking at them like, you guys are out of your fucking mind. We are not <laughs> eating that guy. That's not yeah. cool to do. We're not doing that. And they're all like, no, it's good. Eat him. And it's whatever. Some of them are eating him. By now, mostly everybody in the party is snow blind, and they're starving, and, and they're yeah. cannibals now. Um, and one by one, as they're trudging along, they start to drop off and die. And yeah. the remaining survivors start eating them. Um, they also talk about murdering Louise and Salvador, the two Indians. Yeah. Uh, because why not, right? Like, that's some manifest destiny shit, right? Yeah. Those guys came back from the, the fort to try to help them with Charles Stanton. And they're just like, and awesome. They, they just like, Bleh! Awesome and just food. Eat them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they start they start cutting into strips the, the meat of whoever dies. And they're storing it. And they keep it separated and labeled so that people don't end up eating their relatives, which is very considerate. Yeah, I wouldn't want to eat one of my relatives. Yeah, I wouldn't want to eat one of your relatives either. Hey, pa, okay. Just saying. You would. You nah, would. I wouldn't. They don't look good. Um... You would eat them. I wouldn't. So Luis and Salvador, the Miwoks, as I them. said, had refused to partake in cannibalism. And they're now starving. It's been like nine or ten days since they've eaten and they're close to death. So they do get shot and eaten. Um, eventually the group stumbles into a, a Native American camp. And the Indians there think that they are ghosts because they're so haggard and like bone thin and spooky looking and yeah. covered in blood and shit. And uh, initially the, the natives run away. Yeah. But eventually they come back and they feed them and kind of help them on their way. They have mm. uh, acorn bread and stuff, and they, they help them reach the edge of the Sacramento I mean, Valley. Yeah, they, where they, 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 I mean, these, like, pioneers are probably coming in like fucking uh, <laughs> uh, Alex Jones, like, I will eat your ass. 
Yeah, they're 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 in rough shape. <laughs> to be sure. Yeah. Um, so eventually, half of the party reach, or half of this party, the surviving half, reaches the edge of the Sacramento Valley, where they're they're rescued by local rangers. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, James Reed, uh, he has yeah. made it, as we said, to Sutter's Fort. He made it there. <laughs> so, in so he's like hanging out. No, he's he's actually so he makes it there, and right away yeah. he starts saying like, "We got to go back and rescue these people." Like he's. Mm-hmm. Intent on saving everybody. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, they all kicked him out. Yeah, yeah, and he made it. And he makes it to Sutter's Fort, yep. and meanwhile, they're all just fucking eating each other. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what you get, man. Absolutely. So he eventually agrees to join uh, Colonel John C. Fremont, who's a U.S. Army colonel stationed there, um, who's on his way to fight in the Mexican-American War. And he basically says, listen, I will join up with you, and I will fight in the Mexican-American War, and I'll get as many of my friends and family to do the same if you help me with men to send out search parties to get my people. So eventually they send out three successive rescue parties to save everybody. Um, And the first party to get up there, led by James Reed, um, they, they, they see like his family and they're like all haggard and fucked up, and like his one of his kids is like, "Papa, is that you or is that an angel?" Like something like that. Yeah. Um, this group has also been resorting to cannibalism. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so they start slowly, like they give them a little bit of food because if you have somebody who's that starved and you give them like a big meal, like they're, they'll they'll yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. So they give them a little bit yeah, of food. Yeah, you have to like ease them into it. Yeah. yeah. So they give them a little bit of food. And they start leading these, like, weak, emaciated people out. Mm-hmm. Now, they go and they find George Donner, who's still five miles back. Uh, he's by now riddled with gangrene. And uh, the rescue party, they approach him, um, but he can't be moved. Um, and his wife, Tamsin, refuses to leave his side. She sends her mm-hmm. children. She sends money with them to, like, make sure that they can get set up. But she won't, she won't leave. Mm-hmm. And most of those children survive. Um, but she and her husband will die up on Alder Creek where they're camped. And it's unknown whether the Donners would resort to cannibalism, though. It is, of course, likely that they did, as most people would under these circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Louis Kieseberg, uh has now sort of become the pariah of this story. Um, he's yeah. that, creep, that creepy German who had repeatedly, uh, or reportedly rather, desecrated an Indian burial ground at some point earlier in the trip. And even though most of the people in his group partook of human flesh to survive, apparently they had all decided that it had been his idea to begin with. Uh, And he would carry this reputation of being like the cannibal of the Donner Party for the rest of his days. But one weird thing is uh, he had claimed after he was finally rescued that Tamsin Donner had made it to his cabin after her husband had died and that he had agreed to help her leave, but that overnight she had died of natural causes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he was rescued, he was found with a big pot full of human flesh, George Donner's pistols, and a huge pile of cash and gold, which many people claimed belonged to the Donners. So there's that. So he just killed them. He might have gone back mm-hmm. and fucking killed them, yeah. Uh, Lansford Hastings would go on to become much loathed, uh, receiving numerous death threats for the remainder of his life. Uh, he reportedly said that he was uh, very sorry. So... Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, the thing to take away from this is that it was a very good and fun party. Um, yep. Oh, also, Spritzer, one of the Germans, I forgot to mention this earlier, mm-hmm. uh, he was part of the um, 
horseshoe group and he died and he admitted to killing Wolfinger for his money, which is why oh, okay. I gave that whole lead up thing. Uh, all the Germans died. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a good party. Yeah. And they end up renaming Truckee Lake Donner Lake. Yeah. And this path through the mountains is now called Donner Pass, which yeah. is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I guess in hindsight, not maybe the sort of party that, that I was expecting or that this group was expecting. But hey, we had some laughs. We had some good times. And nearly 50% of the party survived and went on to live difficult, haunted existences in California, which is pretty great. So ultimately, I would say that the Donner Party was a resounding success. I hope they have it again next year. party was the friends we made along the way yeah absolutely it was uh the donner's dinner party was successful yeah donner's dinner yep i thought we were going to be talking about a dinner party i did misread it yeah it's donner party well that was what i initially named the episode and probably well i don't think i'm going to name it that but maybe i'll call it the donner party dinner party the Donner Dinner Party. I just want it to be searchable. When people yeah. search the Donner Party. Donner Party, yeah. Up. That's good. That's good. But it is. Good it, to do it that. was something of a dinner party. Yeah, they did eat. Yeah, they ate. They definitely there ate. Was, there, was, there was a show. There was consumption. There was yeah. There, actually, there was both consumption. And consumption. And consumption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luke Haller. Very nice. Um, yeah, so what do you think? That's the story of the Donner Party. A lot of bad decisions, a lot of fuckery, uh, people doing dumb shit and getting themselves yep. fucking killed. No. Yeah. No beer bongs. Not that we know of. No keg, no keg stands. Yeah, they haven't survived in the archaeological evidence. Yeah, but maybe it's we'll possible. find, yeah, maybe we'll find some, uh, some, like, desiccated dude doing a keg stand up in those mountains at yeah. some point. Somebody butt chugging a bunch of fucking... <laughs> Spice yeah, rum. Just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, butt chugging some Franzia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were the days. So yeah, so that's what? that. That's the story of uh, that's the story of the Donner Party. Oh. I thought I would do a slightly shorter one as opposed to Evan's magnum opus last week. Yep. Give you guys a little a little breather. Um, we got some cool shit in the pipeline, don't we? Yeah, we do. We got some cool shit in the pipeline. Yeah, we've got a some guest, a guest lined up, up sometime. In yeah, the next I think couple like weeks. a yeah, I think like a couple weeks. I actually want to talk about that, but we'll do it off here. Yeah. Um, and then some other fun ideas mm-hmm. coming up. So, thank you guys for listening. Um, is there anything you want to add? Uh, nope. Just the um, yeah. Again, thank you for listening to Left on Red. Uh, I'm Evan. Our host for this evening uh, was Cam. That's him. Uh, uh, yeah. Again, uh, please tell your friends about us. Tell your family. 
Tell your coworkers. Tell whoever. Tell whoever you want. Yeah, dude. Tell your dog. Tell your doctor. Tell your tell your your doctor. Tell your dog's doctor. Tell your doctor's dog. Fuck it, but yeah, let's get everybody told. Uh, yep, rate review. Uh, we'd like to see them five stars. Nobody, we know we you haven't been reviewing us. We can see that. Please review us. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, you can write to us if you would like to make suggestions for other nice parties that we could talk about. We'll do that. We know. Yeah, absolutely. And until next time, I hope that you guys don't get stuck in the mountains and have to eat your fucking kids. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Peace. All right. Next day, he got off.